Do all fish have tongues? Why exactly do we celebrate Fishmas? Is a sturgeon just a paddlefish with better PR? To find out, let's ask Dr. Fish. That's right, it is Ask Dr. Fish, a twice-monthly, nope, a every-other-month live stream in which we ask our Dr. Fish critical science questions, fish questions, and life questions. My name is Stuart Carlton. I'm assistant director with Illinois Indiana Sea Grant and the host and producer of Teach Me About the Great Lakes. And I'm here to introduce our panel of Dr. Fish. First up, we have uh, Katie O'Reilly. Tis the reason for the season. Katie O'Reilly is aquatic invasive species specialist with Illinois Indiana Sea Grant. She is a Dr. Fish. Katie, how are you today? I'm doing great. Merry Fishmas one and all. Merry Fishmas one and all, and we will get to that in just a minute. But first, there's another Dr. Fish, Titus Seilheimer, fishery specialist at Wisconsin Sea Grant. Titus, what is your Fishmas wish for the people out there? Oh, I want I want to have uh, Fishmas in every day throughout the year. Nonstop Fishmas. It's a Fishmas party at Titus's house all the time. And finally, last but certainly not least, we're joined by Carolyn Foley, like me, not a Dr. Fish. But please send your Fishmas uh, wishes out to everybody. Yeah, I'm all here for the invertebrates, so. Yeah, that's... she's all about the invertebrates. <laughs> <And laughs> Carolyn is research coordinator with Illinois Indiana Sea Grant and also a the senior producer of Teach Me About the Great Lakes. And thank you, everybody. So this is our second episode of this latest iteration of Ask Dr. Fish. If you are live and you have a question, paste it in the chat. Uh, I think we're up on Facebook, thanks to our wonderful partners at Great Lakes Now. And we are up at uh, YouTube as well. And you can always use the Twitter hashtag... Ask Dr. Fish. That's the hashtag symbol, which, of course, I know. And uh, we ha- and you, if you want, not for this time, but you can also call 765-496-IIS here, fish hotline. Nobody has a fish hotline. We have a fish hotline. Let's get started right away, though. So this was sent to askdrfish at gmail.com. This is from Mrs. Greenwald's third grade class at the Morris Area Elementary in Minnesota. Morris Eller Area Elementary. Do all fish have tongues? This is a question. Uh, Dr. Fish, do all fish have tongues? Yeah, I'll say, uh, you know, most fish have tongues um, and they're not tongues like ours. So, you know, we know what our tongues are like. They're, you know, very mus- muscular. We've got our taste buds in there. We we use them for lots of, lots of stuff. Uh, most fish have tongues, but it's it's not it's not the same thing, basically. So, yeah. But what actually I think is pretty cool, Titus, you mentioned taste buds. There are actually some fish like catfish that have taste buds on their skin so on the outside of them so basically as they're swimming through the water they're tasting things around them which helps them find prey also feels a little (laughs) gross like you could just taste the air around you but so like a like a great big swimming tongue (laughs) that every time we you know as fish biologists when we're handling you know bullheads and and catfish tasting our hands hands. I, i have a kid one of my two kids i three kids one of my three kids sorry about that uh she she's in the finger sucking mode so maybe she's just very uh uh uh, uh she's fishy i guess she's always just trying to taste her own hand well and the other thing you got to watch with fish tongues is sometimes it's not a tongue at all um there's a parasite it's, it's called an isopod basically think of those roly polies you have in your backyard uh, but this is a marine one lives in salt water and it can actually replace the tongue of the of its fish host. So it's a parasite. And yeah, and it actually will go, it enters the fish through its gills where it, it breathes, you know, essentially breathes. And it will cut off the blood supply to the tongue, make the tongue fall off, 
and then it replaces its, the tongue with itself. No. This doesn't actually, yeah, this doesn't kill the fish, but. <laughs> but it looks, it looks ridiculous and just adorable. Like, I don't know if adorable is the word I would have used. <laughs> well, I, you know, I just, I just imagine this great, like children's book series where, you know, they're the best of friends. <laughs> like I live in your mouth. What books do you read to your kids, Titus? <laughs> see, and, and right. So see, and I'm like invertebrates man they got in there they're doing their thing and yep taking over the world taking over oh yeah so I, I found a picture i don't know uh this is from galveston island state park i don't know if tammy uh tammy winslow is our our pro producer i don't know if she can put the, but look at that thing so that is a fish it's not clear what kind of fish. galveston island is that a sea trout generally generally they're snappers that have okay. this this particular isoto- isopod and they like just you know jump on there like cut the blood off to the tongue so the tongue dies and that just gives them a spot and they just kind of you know latch in they eat some blood eat some mucus uh hang out and that's really gross i right you can say it's cute that's gross so it turns out that's a croaker that's an atlantic croaker uh okay that one's a croaker okay i think that's a cyanid actually it is uh related to the the greatest fish which are the saltwater drums i was gonna move on from that lovely lovely story and go into fishmas because to me that's like the beginning like we have krampus that comes and visits right and takes your tongue uh... (laughs) exactly you better watch out (laughs) one of the best things that um happens every december is fishmas and our we have the creator of fishmas with us i would love to hear a little bit about it um Katie, tell us a little bit about what Fishmas is. Yeah, absolutely. And that's quite the segue from, you know, this invertebrate's going to eat your tongue, uh, you know, if you, you don't you don't stay on the nice list this year. Uh, but so 25 Days of Fishmas is this annual campaign on Twitter uh, that began back in 2016 when I came across a poster actually from Titus's workplace, Wisconsin Sea Grant that reminded me of an advent calendar, basically one of those, you know, things where you have a treat behind a little door each day in December as sort of a countdown. Only I thought instead of opening the door to get a treat, you'd open the door and get facts about Great Lakes fish species. Who wouldn't want that? Um, And so in the six years since then, uh, we featured over a hundred Great Lakes fish species and really just each day is a deep dive into not only the biology of the fish, but also, you know, what are its connections to humans? And, you know, well, it's it's cool to say like, hey, you know, I'm just talking about fish to the greater interweb, you know, out on social media. What's really cool is that people really kind of latched onto this idea and began to share their stories, their memories um, of things that they've seen of different uh, aspects of the Great Lakes fish and fisheries over the years. And it's just been really cool to have this sort of community build together every December uh, to to share love of Great Lakes fish. That's really cool. And you've started where it's not just Great Lakes fish anymore, right? You've expanded. Well, so there was one year, five of the six years have been about Great Lakes fish species. Um, one year back in 2000, uh, 2020, when things were just, you know, a little wild with COVID, we went on a road trip across North America to different regions uh, since we were kind of stuck at home. So it was nice to to get out and explore a bit. Very, very cool. So how, first off, how do you create the list each year? So I have a master list of Great Lakes fish species, um, and that 
is both species that live in the Great Lakes themselves, as well as those that live in sort of the tributaries that lead into the Great Lakes, the rivers and streams, as well as in introduced or invasive species. So I've got this master list and each year it's kind of a decision about, okay, what species do I want to feature based on, you know, showing the diversity that inhabits the Great Lakes. So trying to have species from different fish families, species with different life histories, um, and then all, of course, figuring out how to make those species uh, fit into very seasonal uh, puns or seasonal uh, carols. It's really about the puns and it, the carols, it, isn't it? It's really, that, that's, that's one of the highlights, yeah. Right, okay, so I'm gonna go to both of you. Um, I'm gonna ask you which has been your favorite favorite pun that you have seen related and like try to tie it into the you know why was it an amazing pun you know i i i'm gonna i don't have a specific one but i think you know some of the takes on christmas carols that it involved the uh the fish over the years have been really good really fun and you know i am not you know i am not a a you know, one of these people with the puns always coming out. You know, I am, I'm not Solomon David here. You're not one to pontificate so. much. <laughs> uh, but I will say, despite, despite, you know, Titus's, you know, lack of, of pun making abilities, he has been probably, you know, one of the most ardent supporters of Fishmas over the years. And I would not be able to do it without his help and assistance. So. That's the thing. And so like, it's not even a competition. Why would you turn it into like a game of pun upsmanship? Or, right. uh, I mean, Katie won. Katie won. She's the winner. And I'm just, <laughs> well, I just you know, won. helping out however I can. So All it right. works really well. It's a great All right. Team. Do you have, do you have your favorite pun, Katie? I think one of them, I, I have to say my favorite pun is using uh, Noel, but as Noel and talking about the American okay. eel. Um, <laughs> I, it's a simple, I mean, it's not even really a pun if we're t being, you know, splitting hairs here, but I, I just think the American eel is such a unique, weird fish. And so it fits so perfectly into just the no eel. Um, and I, you know, I, I throw mine in for the burbot just uh, as it's uh, the scientific name is Loda Loda. So it's, it's a lot, a lot of fun to just use that <laughs> nice. all, of, all of the time. So Lotus fun. Yeah, yeah. Lotus fun. <laughs> and you'll, you'll notice on our new logo, there's a, there's a burbot on there. So pick that burbot out and learn more about it. Make it sing. Um, with the, uh, so with the Fishmas, though, it's a couple of things. Like, it's been really fun, and you've seen it take up. There's also, like, these rip-off Fishmases out there, but I think that's okay, right? Spin-offs. Spin They're oh, not rip-offs. They're spin-offs. Inspired, inspired by. by. Inspired by. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, but, but your social media work has actually been a little bit serious. Like, you, you literally studied it, right? Um, and uh, and um, so you, you published work based on your social media, right? Do you want to kind of summarize that, you know, the quick, interesting version rather than the, the longer version for specialists? The boring yeah. science version, yeah. Uh, so I did publish a paper this year uh, in the journal Fisheries about Fishmas uh, as a tool for communicating science. And this actually gets to a question we had from one of our Facebook users about, you know, what was the most popular Fishmas species? And I was trying to actually tease that apart using some of the data collected from, or from the campaign uh, and found out that some of our most popular Fishmas species are not, you know, the typical sport fish species that people think about when they think about, you know, I'm going fishing on the Great Lakes like salmon or trout. It was often things like the silver lamprey, which is a native lamprey species that only grows, you know, 
about a foot long, um, you know, at most, and then it spends most of its life actually hidden in the, the gravel of streams. So this isn't a very charismatic or commonly seen species, but it was the most popular species across the year. And so I, I used some uh, modeling techniques to see, like, did the use of images influence how many, uh, you know, people saw a tweet or engaged with a tweet? Um, and it was kind of a combination of things like, you know, when was the tweet posted? Basically, you know, what kinds of facts were about the, the fish? So pictures it, were a deal too, right? Because that influenced my social media. Pictures were a deal. Was I yeah. started putting pictures in, um, not of myself, because that I, you could study that the other way, right? But, uh, but including pictures in there got people to really engage. Definitely. Yeah, the use of images. I think a lot of those, a lot of those species that came out to the top, I mean, are, are, you know, people, I think their initial reaction is that's a real thing. Like, is that a real species? Like, yeah. that's a real fish, right. you know, not what? some like cartoon someone drew. So, you know, I think that surprisingness is uh, kind of cool about those two. I assume that's part of why you're so, um, so burbit forward, Titus, right? Is, is cause it's, it's something people don't necessarily know about. And it's, it's really kind of um, an interesting fish. You should look up about it singing. We can't talk about this on public airwaves, but it sings during certain moments. Um, I mean, as do many of us, but maybe not quite like this. Yeah. And so, I mean, I think the biggest takeaway I had from both doing Fishmas and then, you know, actually studying the Fishmas campaign was that, you know, freshwater fish are often, you know, kind of overlooked when we're talking about greater biodiversity in the world. You know, people think about coral reefs or rainforests. Um, and so I think we have an opportunity to talk about these freshwater species and some of the challenges they face by tapping into, like Titus said, the sort of what is that novelty of things um, and really just kind of cracking open the door and, and putting some fish facts into people's feeds. And that's really great and important work. But the thing is, is that, um, you know, it's, it's some serious stuff you're doing and having fun to be serious. But sometimes we can just have fun to have fun. And so I've, I've, uh, we put out a poll on Twitter. Um, asking people if they want us to do a table read of a script that I have generated. And um, the poll came back 50-50. So that means some people say yes, some people say no. And the thing is, when it's 50-50, it becomes kind of producer's choice, right? I'm the... uh, No, you flip a coin. Yeah, okay, we'll flip a coin, sure. I got a coin right here. Oh, yeah. Um, (laughs) I'm sure you do. It's totally totally not weighted. This is is a nickel. Uh, uh, The heads means we're going to read this script. Uh, tails, this is tails, means we are not going to read it. So I will. All right, let's see. I'm, all right, so those of you listening on the podcast, right now you're getting a visual of me flipping a coin. This is the kind of thrilling visual <laughs> that we get. All right, there it is. I've not looked at it yet. What do you know? It's heads. Oh. Okay. <laughs> so. Sleight of hand. What do we know? All right, uh, just don't do the replay. All right, so here's the deal. There's this thing that people are using right now. It's called chat GPT. It's this, they call it AI. It's not AI. But it is a, it's kind of a machine learning algorithm that it's, uh, it's a language module. And um, so you can use it to generate language. And so I did this. I said, well, let's uh, write a script in the style of film noir about hashtag 25 days of Christmas starring Dr. Catfish from Twitter and Dr. Fish SG from Twitter. And now we need, um, we need uh, uh, several characters here. We need uh, Dr. Catfish. I, Katie, I, I would recommend you play Dr. Catfish. 
Okay. Uh, we need uh, Dr. Fish SG, which happens to be Titus's Twitter handle. All right. And now, Carolyn, I'm going to give you a choice. There is a narrator who has maybe two lines. You be the narrator. Okay. Then that means you're going to be the person who describes the scene. I'm going to describe the scene. You're going to describe the scene, Carolyn? I am. Okay. All right. Here we go. All right. I'm going to start. So I'm the narrator. Uh, I did a lot of theater in high school and not since. I don't remember how to do it. Okay. It's hashtag 25 days of Christmas in the bustling city of Aquapolis. The streets are alive with the hustle and bustle of holiday shoppers, but not everyone is in the holiday spirit. A dark, dingy office. Dr. Catfish, a private investigator, is sitting at her desk, staring out the window at the bustling city below. She looks tired and worn, her eyes sunken and dark. Another day, another case. I've been doing this for far too long, but I can't turn down a paying job, no matter how mundane it may seem. That's the truest line in the whole thing. (laughs) Anyway. Dr. Catfish is walking through the crowded streets, following a suspect. She blends in with the crowds, her sharp eyes scanning the area for any clues. This guy's been stealing holiday decorations from storefronts all over the city. I've been on his tail for weeks, and I'm getting closer to cracking the case. Dr. Catfish is sitting in a seedy bar, nursing a drink. Dr. Fish SG, a rival investigator, walks in and takes a seat next to her. You're still working that holiday decoration case, eh? I thought that was beneath you, Catfish. Sipping her drink. It pays the bills, Fish SG. And you know, I never give up on a case. Smirking. Well, you better watch your back. I've heard rumors about that guy you're after. He's dangerous. Shrugging. You know I can handle myself. Dr. Catfish is standing outside a warehouse, peering through a window. She sees the suspect inside, rummaging through boxes of decorations. She pulls out her gun and quietly enters the building. This is it. The moment I've been waiting for. I just need to catch him in the act and bring him to justice. Suddenly, the suspect turns and sees Dr. Catfish. He pulls out a gun and fires, but she ducks and rolls, dodging the bullets. She takes cover behind a stack of boxes and returns fire, because that's uh, this edit. This is absolutely something I could see Katie doing. Anyway, back to you. <laughs> it <laughs> It's never easy, but I always get my man. Dr. Catfish... Is walking down the street, a satisfied smile on her face. She pulls out her phone and calls her client, letting them know the case has been solved. Another day, another case. But at least now, I can enjoy the rest of 25 Days of Fishmas in peace. In the world of film noir, justice always prevails, especially during the holidays. Aid. To black. We had a comment in there that James says happy fishmas to all. And I think we also say happy fishmas to all. You know, very very yes. few actual fish in that uh in that that story. I know there was a a terrible lack of fish. Yeah, it's not clear that Chad GPT knows a lot about fish, I'll be honest. <laughs> well, let's try to help them with that. So next question for our Dr. Fishes. Sturgeon versus paddlefish. Throw down. All right. Oh, yeah. um, what is the difference between a sturgeon and a paddlefish? Are they closely related? Well, you know, they, they're both kind of odd looking fish, but, uh, you know, 
on one hand, sturgeon, they're cartilaginous. So, you know, sharks, they have cartilaginous uh, skeletons. Um, and compare that to paddlefish, which uh, they're bony fish. So they're, you know, if we, we turn back the clock, we've got the, you know, they kind of branched off at different times. So, but they're all, they're both really old, right? Is that, well, here, here, let's set this up. Here's how this started, right? Was well, somebody put out this video? I think we've got the video. Um, yeah. So here's a sturgeon. This is a baby sturgeon. Very cute. Uh, lakey nominee, not a lakey winner. Uh, and here it is feeding. Ooh, so cool. There he goes. Look at that. Look at that. Look at so that. it sucks all this in and then it ejects it, right? Hold on. Let's do this again. It's like me on a plate of wings. Um, if we can, yeah, if we can run that one one more time. All right, here we go. And a, and a video here from our good friend, Corey Brandt uh, in Michigan. So there, how many, how's it get so many rocks up at one suck? I mean, you know, when, when the hunger strikes, Stuart. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, but so that was cool. And then Titus replied, we're not just running you through social media, but then you reply with this paddlefish video and they have this big mouth too, right? To their feeding mechanism. So look at that. What is that? They have this huge mouth. It's like a it's like a plunger, essentially. A paddlefish is like a plunger stuck onto a fish. Yeah, with that big um, mouth is like, you know, it's basically a big net. So they're just swimming around. They are filtering the water. Um, they can actually use that paddle. They've got uh, different uh, like electro sensor kind of organ things in, in their paddle so they can help find that food. Um, and they're just, you know, filter feeding. Yeah, they remind me a bit of like a, you know, you see whales or things like basking sharks out in the ocean where you're just swimming around, scooping up a lot of little plankton uh, with your your big net. So, yeah. And if, if, if we think about that sturgeon we saw, you know, the the sturgeon with those barbels on the front, you know, kind of like that. Uh, it's like a mustache. So, you know, you can see it just kind of touching the bottom, like feeling along and then just sucking up, you know, whatever food is there. Um, and it, you know, it's, it's spitting those rocks out. It doesn't want to eat rocks. Um, it can kind of sort that stuff out and then, uh, you know, goes about its day. So pretty cool for a fish, you know, that can get, and like both these fish can get really big. Um, you know, sturgeon can be hundreds of pounds. Uh, uh, the largest one recently caught in the last couple of years was, uh, six feet, 10 inches, um, weighing, you know, 250 plus pounds. So that's a big fish and, but it's just eaten you know, invertebrates on the bottom. So Carolyn, there's, there's your, your invertebrates again. They're the best. Yep. But that's really, really They're great food for big fish. So do, do you guys have a, a sense of what suction feeding, like, so we talked a little bit, Katie, you mentioned about the whales just kind of swimming along and getting a bunch of stuff. So that would be the, the paddlefish is just trying to get whatever it can. Right. Um, do you know, why suction feeding evolved at all? I, you know, at the risk of sounding like a complete, you know, noob at this, it is basically a area of study that this fish physiologists try and say that a couple times fast really focus on is like, how do the fish heads, their mouth structures evolve to consume different prey items. And with, you know, as we're thinking about that, not only are we thinking about the actual structure of a fish's head, which some people um, study in really great depth to the point of like uh, printing out 3D models of the head to understand, you know, how they're set up. But it's also thinking about what kind of environments are these fish living in. So the sturgeon that you're looking at is always living on the bottom. It's a benthic species. And so it's evolved to have a mouth that 
is well adapted for basically vacuuming up the, the river or lake bottom. Whereas the paddlefish is more of what we call a pelagic species in the upper in the water column, um, doing this filter feeding technique of just, you know, scooping everything, everything up. Um, and so it's basically how a fish consumes is getting, um, is thinking about what kind of environment it typically inhabits in part. Yeah, they're both, you know, basically doing the same thing. Like they're taking in a lot of material and then sorting out the food, swallowing the food, getting rid of the other stuff, you know, whether that's just kind of debris for the paddlefish or, uh, you know, mud and, and sediment for the, for the sturgeon. But yeah, both cool, cool ways to eat food. And uh, they're both doing a great job. That's really, really awesome. They're also really, really awesome fish. Both of them are very, very cool. Another fish that is, I think, kind of awesome that doesn't always get the uh, heyday that it deserves, but it, pro- it definitely has in 25 Days of Fishmas, are suckers. Um, so recently, people at the Shed Aquarium tagged some suckers. There we go. Can you guys tell me what what do you guys know about suckers and why are they important in the Great Lakes? Well, you know, I'm going to let Titus take most of this since he's actually been out there, you know, actually watching some of these suckers in action. You should ask Titus for his sucker video collection. He takes oh, uh, yes. Yes, exciting videos of suckers. Just in his backyard, basically. Um, but I'll just uh, preface that by saying, you know, there's a couple of species of suckers um, in the Great Lakes. There's also what are called red horse suckers, um, which are these very uh, strange looking uh, sucker creatures. But basically... They are often found in Great Lakes tributaries and the suckers, the white sucker and long sucker in particular, spawn every spring and come up into these tributaries in large numbers. Think, think of it like salmon returning to spawn and they bring nutrients with them into these streams. But I'll let Titus take over what it actually means in practice. And as a point of clarification, red horse, red horse sucker, the other type yes. of... <laughs> the red horse. Horse, that S is in there just for the yes. record. And this is uh, the robust red horse, by the way, is what I did my master's research on 20 years ago at this point, the University of Georgia under Cecil Jennings. So I used to know a little bit about red horse suckers. Yeah. So, you know, the 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 work that uh, the Karen Murchie and Shed Aquarium are doing, you know, it, it's great. It's really, you know, it's citizen science, I think, it's at its best. And, and, you know, volunteers out there on the coast going out. Um, all spring, every day, uh, I actually have a, a stream right next to my office um, that I, uh, another volunteer and I cover. And we, we, you know, basically April through June, we're out there every day. We spend 10 minutes looking for fish. And, you know, it's about counting, you know, when are the fish here? How many fish, uh, you know, suckers are there? We're mostly seeing white suckers. There's also long nose suckers that are, uh, you know, kind of in the Great Lakes that, that, uh, some of the volunteers are watching and, um, uh, you know, it's a, it's a great, it's a great opportunity just to be out on the stream bank every day, you know, rain, snow, uh, sunshine, nice days. And, and, you know, lots of, lots of great fish and with the, the tagging. So what, what Karen did was, you know, partner with uh U.S. fish and wildlife service, uh, and with Wisconsin sea grant to, uh, buy these acoustic tags. So, uh, you know, basically it's a kind of this little, um, I don't know, it's like a, you know, a pack of lifesavers, basically it's like that size. So you can imagine that they actually open the fish up, put that inside, 
uh, close the fish back up. So it's still alive. And uh, what this, uh, the transmitter does, it shoots out this uh, acoustic, this sound ping, basically. Each one is unique. Uh, and then out in the Great Lakes, there's all these different uh, receivers that different people have put out. They're all over the place. And so if a fish swims close to it, they've got that uh, transmitter, the receiver picks it up, and you get this data point in a huge uh, spreadsheet that uh, that uh, this uh, group called the Great Lakes Acoustic Telemetry Observatory, um, GLaDOS, they kind of manage all that data. GLaDOS. The worst Marvel hero, but the best hero of suckers. Yes, yes. So, and and so this, you know, if a fish swims by a receiver, you have, you know, kind of a time, a date, and a location. And you can start looking at, you know, where do these fish go? Um, so we kind of know when the suckers come back, when they spawn, but where do they go when they hit the lake? And that's that's what uh, this is going to teach us. There are 60, 60 white suckers out there with these transmitters, and uh, we're going to start start seeing data and it's going to be, you know, really cool to kind of spy on these fish and find out what they do and where they go. And Right. That's awesome. Okay. So three things that I want to say about this one. Number one, GLATOS is like my favorite acronym in all of the acronyms that I've had to learn for my job. Cause it just makes me think of this, like, I don't know, like day, day the earth stood still kind of thing that came down. And like, I don't know. And I, it's also just such a cool project to have all these receivers all over the place, pinging fish so we can understand how they're going. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Um, so second thing is our, um, those who are helping us out today, Great Lakes Now, they have a story about white suckers where they um, they spoke with Karen Murchie from the shed who calls them the best supporting fish. Suckers are the best supporting fish because they're so little known, but so important. Um, showing a link to that right now. And Y'all can go take a look at it. Very much encouraged. We also did talk a little bit about um, maybe trying to get a couple of people on the show when the run is happening to do some kind of um, like sucker madness show. They don't know this yet unless they're listening. They may have heard it now. So this would be a really, really cool thing. The last thing I want to say is one time I was at the grocery store and the guy behind the fish counter found out that I work with people who work on fish. And he told me that he actually like cans sucker and uses it like he catches them, cans them himself and he um, he uses them instead of tuna, which is just like, hold on. All right. No, wait, no, no. We're moving on. man. Hold on. (laughs) So so he cans. What kind of sucker does he can? White suckers. White suckers. White suckers. And, and you, does he actually, pull out the go, meat or is it like the whole deal? Like, well, like with the, uh, we don't have meat? him as a guest on the show right now, Stuart, so I can't. You really can pickle him too. You know, the rough shape. This is my question. Is it tubular in shape a la like a hot dog, for example? So you would chunk it up. Um, I've seen this. I've yeah. had it before. It is a... Along the coast, yeah, I chunk it you up. Know, all right. <laughs> uh, you know, if you pickle it, it's it's pretty tasty. So I I am proposing here. Uh, not only uh, in the spring will I be on this uh, this program live, standing in the stream, but Whoa. we'll also uh, feature. Uh, we could feature some pickled stir, uh, picker, pickled <laughs> sucker as well. Ooh. Perfect. Stay tuned. So we have one more question that we did receive from the audience, which is a doozy from Barry Adams at Mad News Boy. How come I don't always catch fish? Dr. Katie? Ooh, that is the the million dollar question. Where are the fish and why aren't they biting? I mean, 
that is really, I think what unites anglers and scientists more than anything is like, where are our fish? And we wanna know what the fish are doing, where they're at. Um, and they may not be biting for any number of reasons. Some species are more active at different times of the day. So if you're out in the middle of the day and it's a species that's only active, say in the you know early morning hours, late dusk hours, you're kind of out of luck. You know, depends on what kind of bait you're using. Is this something that the fish wants to eat? Uh, is this just the weather that day? The weather has a huge impact. Um, is it cloudy? Some species prefer, you know, to be out in active and cloudy conditions. So that's, I think, actually why anglers are one of the best sources of information for us as scientists, because they're out there, they're seeing, you know, making observations about, oh, I'm finding fish in this particular location. And so I think bringing together, you know, both the scientific side of what we do in terms of sampling with some of this knowledge that anglers have is really where we can, you know, make the most, uh, you know, combine the most information to make the best decisions for management. And if, if you're in the wrong place, if the fish aren't there, you're not going to catch them. And, uh, you know, I think anglers tend, they they focus on a species, like they're out catching bass or they want to catch muskie. And, you know, there's, there's plenty of fish. And if you really wanted to catch fish all the time, you probably could. Um, you could catch some minnows. There's, you know, micro fishing is something people do now where they catch, you know, it's not about catching the biggest bass. It's about catching all the species that are out there. So, um, you know, I think you just need to broaden your mind and you can catch fish uh, anytime. Change your definition of what catching a fish is. Y'all are both too nice. The reason, Barry, is that you're not good at fishing. And, and but it's okay. Most people aren't. I used to, when I worked, I worked for a while as a marine fisheries biologist for the state of Florida uh, in St. Pete, Tampa, St. Pete, Florida. And we would do what we called hook and line sampling. This was legitimate science work. We'd get a fishing pole with some shrimp and we'd go out to fish for red drum or redfish and uh, to try to, we would, we would then call them and, and take their DNA to figure out if the stocking program was being effective or not. But I would go out with this guy named Buddy and Buddy was a former fishing guide. And, um, and, and so this would literally be standardized routines. We would have the exact same line, the exact same bait, be fishing in the exact same place. And Buddy would catch 10 times the fish of everybody else in the freaking department. And it was like, what are you doing, Buddy? Why are you catching? All and Buddy's from South Carolina. What was even that? But so Buddy was sitting there catching them. Of course, the other thing about Buddy, who's probably not listening, is uh, if you weren't catching fish, he would abandon the sampling protocol. <laughs> Go find the fish because uh, it's more fun to catch fish than not. Yeah. And I think, you know, data wise, it's like, you know, like a very small percentage of anglers catch most of the fish. It's like 10% of the anglers catch 90% of the fish because they just know what they're doing. And, you know, people like me, uh, you know, I don't know what I'm doing and I don't catch fish and eh, that's fine. Right. So I have, I have one more um, story that I want to bring up because you guys know, I can't, I can't miss an opportunity to share something about Canada and you all um, you're talking about catching fish and things like that. There was a story that came out in uh, that a, an angler in Toronto, one of the biggest cities, um, it caught a muskie in downtown and they said it's a unicorn catch in the city harbor. I also have a nine-year-old daughter, so I can't, and a seven-year-old son who loves unicorns too, so I can't miss an opportunity to talk about unicorns. Why would catching a muskie in a city harbor be a unicorn catch? Yeah, so, you know, I think it's just the unexpected nature of that, um, you know, this like urban, large urban area, 
Um, if you know anything about musky habitat, it's, you know, kind of shallow. It need the, you know, for natural reproduction, they need a lot of wetlands. And um, as someone who, you know, uh, went to school in, in Hamilton, Ontario, and studied the coastal wetlands of, of the area, uh, a lot of those wetlands are gone. So, you know, I think it's just, uh, especially a fish that size uh, to see there uh, in, you know, this very urban, very developed area is, is sort of unexpected. So pretty excited to see that. Right. And a muskie is something that people would consider, anybody would consider that a fish, right? Yeah, they'd be happy with that fish. I think any angler would be like, oh, this isn't a bad day. <laughs> Cool, 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 cool. All right, so I'm being pressed to switch to the end. So um, for those who have joined in the past when we've had the doctor's fishes on, we have wrapped things up with a game of 20 questions where one doctor picks a fish, the other doctor tries to guess what the fish is, and whoever winds up winning um, gets 30 seconds to soapbox about whatever they feel like soapboxing about. And it's always Titus talking about eating fish. This is the soapbox. Always Titus, yeah. yeah. Always Titus, <laughs> always eating fish. So. But it's always too long. We normally have both doctors fish go, and it is it is too long. So this time, Carolyn, we are cutting it down to just one doctor. By my clock, All we right. have two more hours, so I'm not sure what <laughs> time. Titus does this. Actually, if you just step into his office, he's talking into the mic, looking at the camera. We just uh, we just, just No away. one's here. Dr. Catfish has the choice. So, Dr. Fish SG. Yes, I, ha I have my species in mind. So go ahead and ask, man. Barbels, yes or no? Yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, does, it, does, does it sing during the act of procreation? Not typically. At least not that you could not hear with, yeah. Okay. Is it a freshwater species exclusively? I would say yes, possible low salt, like very, very fresh brackish water, but mostly freshwater. And if you're listening live, go ahead and put a, a question or a guess in the chat box and we'll say it. So if you, if you, uh, you can waste our questions if you want. All right, that's three, if I've counted correctly. Titus, fourth question. Uh, scales, yes or no? No. Okay, now this is where we suffer because I'm really, I'm going to go with my one. <laughs> All right, here we go. You ready? Does it live in the benthos? Y yes, typically, yeah. Um, does it live over rocky habitats? Uh, it's more, I would say more over muddy habitats or silty habitats. Uh, venomous, yes or no? Yes. Oh, do you know what it is? Because I will totally defer and just let you ask questions. I feel like Titus might know. No, you don't get to take yeah. my question. That's No, I will not. No, defer. Stewart. I, I defer to nobody. I've got a question. Um, is it venomous enough to kill me? That's kind of my key question. No, okay. no, definitely not. Yeah. Defer to Titus. Uh, adipose fin. Is it a, a distinct adipose fin or is it connected to the caudal fin? So what is the adipose fin? Help us help our listeners. So an adipose fin is basically like, if you think about the back of a fish, there's a dorsal fin, which is like the fin you see in like jaws. But an adipose fin is behind that dorsal fin on the back. And it's just kind of like a little nub. What does it do? Why do I have, what is an adipose fin for? Decoration? It, you know, yeah, it, it just doesn't have a, there's not a, a function anymore, but certain groups so of species. The appendix of fish. Yeah, some species have it. It's a great, you know, if you're identifying a fish. It's nice to see sometimes. 
So what was the question? Yeah, so the question was, is the adipose fin kind of distinct or separate? Or connected to the tail? Uh, I would say it's separate. Um, is this fish a prey? I've lost, uh, it's, this is six, six, eight. Anyway, is this a prey, a common prey item, this fish? I mean, probably when it's smaller, yes. Uh, so the, the barbels, are they light colored or dark colored? It has both. Um, I don't know, 12. I, I'll be honest. I've lost track. Uh, Carolyn, what? <laughs> is, is it a bullhead? Uh, no. So oh. it is not a bullhead. Um, and I got a question. What are barbels? So barbels are basically sensory whiskers that a fish has. The sensoriest of whiskers, in all honesty. Oh, okay. We have a question to wrap up after the 20 questions. Titus, take it away, man. You got three guesses. That's, that's how we're going to wrap this up. Okay. Um, I'm going to say if it's not a bullhead and it's venomous, is it a tadpole mad tom? No. Maybe I'm wrong on the venomous part. I thought they were still venomous. Oh, now wait a minute. <laughs> no, now now I'm going to question myself. The doubt is creeping in. No. Uh, Stuart, you have any? Anybody else have any fish? No, I got okay, nothing, I got man. Fish. I got benthos. I got does it sing during procreation? Those are my questions. So, uh, channel catfish. Yes, channel catfish. Channel cat. <laughs> yeah, Maybe oh, they're wait, not venomous. Maybe I, I totally messed that oh, one Oh, wait. Up. Hold on. Hold on. We got to figure this out. No, no, no. You work on the venomous. I don't think they are because I've been stuck by channel catfish a trillion times. Uh, anytime I net one, uh, it jabs me because I'm un- uncoordinated. But the thing is, we just made a mistake. So, Titus, you need to roll. Yep, we're working on that, Hope. Uh, Titus, you're going to have to take your guess again, uh, uh, and then we'll do the drum roll, and then uh, then we have our official sound effect. So I apologize. This is my fault. Uh, Quinn, this stays in as always. All right, Titus, let's uh, rack it, baby. Uh, is it the channel catfish? Yes, it is. <laughs> That's the thunderous woo of Katie O'Reilly. Uh, fan, double Fantastic, and Tammy, for those watching live, what you should do uh, every other month at the uh, Facebook page of Great Lakes Now, our, our production partners, uh, you can see a picture of the channel Catfish. Fan, double double Fantastic. That means that Titus... Doesn't Katie kind of win this one? No, Titus wins this one. I messed up the venomous part, so... All right, all right, Titus. You are so gracious. Well, All right. I want to give I want to give it to Katie then. I'm going to pass it. That's my my thing is to let Katie uh, give her 30 seconds. I would just talk about cooking fish again. So channel catfish. It's a good one to do it. It is a good one to do it. Uh, so yeah, let me know Stuart, when I got my time. I... You got your time after we answer this question. What is the okay. worst from Ethan on Facebook? What is the worst experience you've had with a fish? Bites, horned by a catfish, maybe a channel catfish, broken foot. Um, who's got a bad fish experience they want to talk about? I mean, I can share mine. Like even though I I collect I collected fish sometimes, and the reason I said bullhead was teeny tiny baby bullheads. When you're trying to hold them on the board very wiggly and they got me like boom right in my thumb and it it hurt for like five days afterward and that's when you're like venomous and things like that i was yeah. like you i was taken right back to that wetland where it hurt yeah if you're not <laughs> if hurt, you're not yeah. bleeding you're not working with the uh, bullheads 
<laughs> yeah, I and my my uh, bad experience is also bullhead related. Uh, Pickering, Ontario, in the spring, uh, we, me and an undergrad student, we were out there uh, pulling fike nets, checking the wetland fish species, and it was bullhead spawning season because we had hundreds of adult brown bullheads, and I had to like handle every single one. Net was too heavy to lift, and I got like spiked so many times in my hands. Uh, it was. It was quite the quite the day. So fantastic. Uh, yes, my bad story. It's not. I didn't get hurt. Why would I get hurt? I have very good reflexes. But we, um, when I was a marine fisheries biologist, we would set nets and have to count all of the fish for population dynamics reasons. And somebody set a net, a net that you uh, spin around in a circle and set, and he caught about twelve hundred hardhead catfish. Um, and we had to count each one of those. And they, unlike the bullhead or the channel cat, excuse me. Unlike the channel cat, they are venomous. And so that was no fun. All right. Katie O'Reilly, 30 second soapbox. Tell us about Fishmas or whatever else is on your Doesn't mind. Doesn't she have to share her, her, um, her experience first? I mean, she could, unless you want me to just cut you off. It's your call. Either way. I mean, my experience is kind of similar to Titus. We were sampling a Great Lakes coastal wetland, had a net full of adult long nose gar, which are an awesome fish but have a mouthful of very sharp teeth. And this, it was about 70 adult long-nosed gar in this net that were not happy to be there. And so, you know, getting them out was was quite the, uh, I would say balancing act between getting them out quickly and getting them out without slicing your hands open, so. Excellent. All right, Carolyn, if you want to transition more smoothly than I did, take it away, boss. <laughs> so, now, Katie, because you were graciously, I mean, we have, you were gifted in, in the spirit of Fishmas, um, you were gifted a 30-second soapbox, um, and so your time can begin now. So, I one of the things I want to talk about is uh, my use of a non-fish species this fish miss. So for the first time ever this year, we had a non-fish featured and it was the red swamp crayfish, which is an invertebrate, Carolyn, uh, that is introduced to the Great Lakes and causes a lot of damage as an invasive species. It basically builds little burrows that can erode the stream bank. It outcompetes our native crayfish species and People, you know, may claim that that was jumping the shark, but I think, you know, we had to explain why a crayfish is called a fish, though it's not. It's a, it's more related to lobsters and crabs. And, you know, I'm going to die on that hill that it was appropriate to include. And it's my fish, so I can do whatever I want. Um, <laughs> and, you know, if there's going to be a crayfish, there's going to be a crayfish. And who knows, maybe there will be other non-fish fish that, uh, you know, it's Louisiana crayfish indeed. That's right. In Louisiana, where I'm from, shortly after Christmas or Fishmas season comes the crayfish season. So you're, exactly. just, you're bridging the seasons like Carolyn through the segments of this very show. Absolutely. <laughs> Ask Dr. Fish is brought to you by the fine people at Illinois, Indiana Sea Grant, Wisconsin Sea Grant, and Gobi Dog Media. The show is produced by uh, and hosted by Stuart Carlton, Carolyn Foley, Dr. Fish, Katie O'Reilly, and Dr. Fish, Titus Seilheimer. The live broadcast guru is Tammy Winsel. Thank you. Tammy. Thank you, the Tammy. Whole, the whole live thing is produced by our pals at Great Lakes Now. You should check out the work they do. News news about the lakes you love. GreatLakesNow.org. 
The podcast version of this show is edited by the awesome Quinn Rose. We encourage you to check out her work at AspiringRobot.com. The podcast artwork is by Ethan Kosak. Really fun. Black Mud Puppy on Twitter, but check out his portfolio at Ethan Kosak. That's K-O-C-A-K.com. If you have questions for our Doctor's Fish, send an email, AskDrFish at gmail.com. Use the Twitter hashtag, AskDrFish, while you can. Or call our hotline. That's right, our fish hotline, 765-496-IISG. Hey, everybody, thanks for listening. We'll see you live on YouTube. No, we'll see you live on YouTube. At YouTube? You're on websites. Either way, uh, YouTube and Facebook, 11 Eastern on the second Monday of every even month. And I screw that up every time. But that is February, April, June, August, October, and, of course, December. In between now and then, if you have fish questions, if you have science questions, or you have life questions, just ask Dr. Fish.